0: Hello, and welcome to AI Studios. I'm Natalia Barina, and this is a show where we learn about the latest advancements in how we build, use, and interact with AI. Our guest today is Amy Carl, an artist and futurist who investigates the implications of emerging technology on humanity. Amy, welcome to AI Studios. Thanks for coming on.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: So to start off, I would love to learn a little bit about what is your journey through life? How did you get here? Give us an overview.
1: So I study, I focus my life's work on investigating the potential impact of emerging and exponential technologies on humanity, like you mentioned, including AI and biotech. And I got into this because from a very young age, I was born with a life-threatening birth defect. So I came into this world with a desire to heal and enhance my body and, and my being. And there was also a very humanistic aspect of this as well, an understanding of the human condition. From this young age, I was always looking for, and my parents were looking for the latest medical technology that could heal me. And so I really became finely attuned with our emerging medical technologies, our emerging biotechnologies, and how that could heal the body. I was also aware of the very humanistic element of having to deal with these issues, too, that most people don't have to experience till they're much older and they get sick. So as I've gone through life, I have found that some of the languages that I speak best are visual languages as an artist. And the ways that I research are... Um, are very much through using these technologies and using the tools. That's how I develop uh, thinking of, of what we can do with these tools and understanding of what we can do with these tools and a thinking of where else we would wanna progress these tools. And it's always kind of with this lens of ethical considerations uh, and, and always with the lens of how can we use these to make our lives better? So AI is a big part of that question and that journey, especially at this time.
0: What is AI to you from an artist's perspective? How do you think about it?
1: That's a really good question. Um, the way that I think about AI is that it is... It's a tool that replicates natural systems and natural ways of thinking and problem solving, but that it helps us do our jobs better, that it can enhance and empower us. Ultimately, I look at it as a tool, as another tool that we could use to enhance whatever we do. So for me as an artist, it enhances some of my processes, but it can also enhance my creativity as well by being a reflection back to myself of um, using a tool or technology that produces different aesthetics, produces different outputs, produces in a in a faster way, generates in a faster way, problem solves in a in a way that's beyond my cognitive abilities.
0: Yeah, there's so much going on uh, with AI, and we're seeing and hearing about new advancements daily. Um, what are some things that strike you? that are happening in AI today, uh, in the way that they're changing the way we think and function?
1: I look at the current state of AI as this manifestation of our rapidly changing world, right? We develop our technologies in the vision of who we want to become. Most of our technologies are developed with this aspect, with this idea that they're going to empower us or make our lives better, make our lives easier. And they've just taken over at such an exponential rate. So the way that I see AI is that, um, first of all, it's a reflection of our behaviors and our desires, but it's influencing us, too, in a lot of ways that I think that we're not even aware of. So now I see in a lot of the commercial aspects of AI. Um, I mean, I really can't look at any industry and not see them using AI. So I really look at the aspect of biotech and the um, like the societal impacts and how it affects us as human beings. Some of the things that I'm really concerned about right now are the long term impacts on human connection, on creativity, on artistic expression, on mental health. Um, I'm, I'm worried that it that it's potentially preventing us from developing our other intelligences, right? So like a lot of the doctors that I talk to, they're excited about our new technologies and excited about AI to help them in understanding and detecting disease at a a much faster pace, at a a way, in a place that humans can't do. However, they also complain that they don't touch people anymore right? They don't, have, they don't have the time to touch people and they're sitting behind a screen and then the patient is behind the screen. So they're losing some of that intelligence. We can also apply that to like dancers or sculptors. And most of the sculptors I know now are trained in 3D. So we're becoming homogenized behind these screens. And my concern is that as we're working with this technology, we're stopping short, right? We're not using it in the proper perspective, that it's we're using it as a be all end all. Now, as a technology, as AI to help us, like to empower doctors to help identify disease or to help sculptors and artists as a point in the process is a really amazing tool. But we need to make sure that we're still continuing to develop our other intelligences that are beyond that verbal and image mind beyond the screen. Actually add to that too, that we can start coupling that with some of the major significant challenges and concerns that we're running into with AI. And it kind of gets dangerous fast. Like you think about misinformation or bad information that comes with AI ethics, you know, deep fakes, fake nude biases, fraud, privacy issues, bad actors. And you start to look at that, especially when we're thinking about it in a medical context. What if all of that is in the AI and it's programming these life and death decisions? Who is then responsible? So it's actually this like huge ethics mind that's just ready to explode. What guardrails do we have to put into place both in our own practice and be aware of, but also in a larger scale?
0: Yeah, I completely agree with that. And I think in the to your point when it, when you step into the medical realm, the stakes are very high when you're thinking mm-hmm. about life yeah. and death decisions versus mm-hmm. recommending a purse to somebody who like cares yeah. if it makes a mistake in that yeah. in that example. Um yeah, this is a really good exploration of the the particular point that I wanted to explore around the dangers of AI. Um, and the, you know like when we when i was at meta one of the things we talked about was just losing control of it and not knowing how it works um, because even for people who make it i mean i worked in an organization where we made ai systems and oftentimes we didn't even know how these things <laughs> yeah. work because the complexity is so great in terms of the amount of data in terms of the kind of systems that you're dealing with and there's a lot to be said about uh, transparency, which is something that I worked on and how do you make these systems more transparent? Um, are there any other dangers, AI dangers that you think about that we uh, really should consider and watch out for?
1: So I think you know more long-term as well and bigger pictures. I mentioned some of the immediate concerns you know, my biggest concern is kind of something you you mentioned, is that I'm concerned that we need a to, to keep AI like under our control, to make sure that it is serving our best and highest good. And I'm just not sure that we can do that. You know, AI is this amazing tool that we can use to enhance our potential as human beings to improve our world, to improve our environment. But first off, are we using it that way? I'm not even sure if we're like intending to use it that way. So that's the first step. We need to make sure that we're coming together and we're conscious of the values that we want to promote through. It. And we need a critical mass for that. And I'm, I'm, first off, my biggest concern is that I'm not seeing that. So, you know, as humanity, as cultures, we need to come together and have some kind of agreement how we're going to use these tools. Um, some of the big, bigger issues too is that I'm concerned that the AI will become a tool that no longer serves us, but rather we become in service of, and it it disables us. And we've seen this with the other major industrial revolutions. I lived in Detroit and there, when I read the old texts from the assembly line, It seemed like, you know, there was so much hope and there was this huge vision that the assembly line and some of these new technologies and new tools would be able to empower people and that they would be able to kind of take some of the human labor aspect out of it because they can make things quicker or in a better process. But as we saw, it actually made the situation worse. Um, I also grew up in Endicott, New York, which was the home of IBM. And I grew up going on these field trips, seeing these rooms of supercomputers. And I was told these stories about the time that, you know, when we were when we were adults, when we were the age that we are now, that these computers would be able to solve all of these issues of um, these, you know, these massive, complex global challenges. And then we could relax and live lives of leisure. So we have seen actually the computing technology to be able to do that but we haven't used it in that way. So this is one of my really big concerns. Um, another concern that I mentioned is that like about it disabling us is that we become too over-reliant on it. Like right now, I don't know too many pe- younger people that could read maps because they're using the maps on their phone all the time. And and I think it actually has even disabled me too, even though I could read a map to be able to logically know how to drive places because I'm just so reliant on the map. So uh, AI, you know, impacts us on a much bigger scale. So I'm worried about that. It also reminds me of um, how Nick Bostrom talks about super intelligence, right? Like when mm-hmm. the systems become self-improving to a point that they surpass our understanding, our intelligence. Uh, and my concern with that too, is that, you know, it becomes uncontrollable, that it's misaligned with our values and it just spins out of control. It's not for our best interests. It's not for our highest good. Um, and then, of course, the, the the issue of being concentrated in the hands of a powerful few and all the issues that come with that as well. Like right now, we see some of the big companies holding power. It's not necessarily equitable distribution. Um, and imagine if some of the world powers have this, like U.S., Russia and China, and then all our citizens are, you know, have to succumb to whatever whatever that structure is. So we already kind of see some of that and some of those themes in our society. But when you add AI into the mix, this super intelligent AI, super powerful in ways that we we can't even fathom, we can't even understand, that's really concerning for me. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: What about the other side of it? Uh, what are some new opportunities that AI is opening up for humanity where it can be one of the big things that you explore is how it can be used to heal and enhance mm-hmm. our lives.
1: So, you know, I envision my, my hope for AI and what I envision is this future of highly autonomous integrated systems, right? That easily surpass human intelligence in this broad range of domains across all kinds of categories. And as infotech and biotech merge even further, this integration of AI becomes enmeshed with our biology, enmeshed with our world. And I think that it's really this opportunity to revolutionize our understanding of ourselves and give rise to, first of all, empowered states of being and healthcare, new forms of expression, new forms of creativity, new forms of engaging with each other and being connected with each other. So this is like my highest form, right? We can look at the range of AI from this doomsday scenario to an enlightened singularity. How I would prefer to use it is for like the enlightenment for our best and highest good. And we could see that across a lot of different sectors. And yeah, you know, I I look at especially like neurotech and biotech and and kind of the different devices that we can use within our systems, within our bodies.
0: Yeah, um, this is a good segue into something I would love to explore with you a little bit more. Uh, You've experimented with the idea that consciousness and life can be transferred to another body or machine (laughs) through some of your projects, biofeedback art in particular. Um, Is this something that we want? (laughs) What does it mean for us? Uh, Imagine you can be transferred into a server (laughs) and live forever. (laughs) What What would that mean for how we think about our lives today?
1: Well, I'm happy to talk about the biofeedback work, and I think that's important to do. But just in a really practical way, some of the work that I've been doing now is I'm looking at how I can create algorithms and program AI to continue to create after I pass away, to continue to create as an artist after I pass away. Now, that might seem kind of abstract, but let's just look at like our digital legacy that we leave online after we die right? All of the legacy Facebook pages, you probably know better than I do. There's going to be a a point in the near future that there's more of those legacy accounts of people that have passed away than people that are living. So what does all this like huge amount of data say about us? How will that be used after we pass away? How do we continue to live on through our digital footprints? So there's a very kind of, um, That's kind of a very grounded way of just looking at this basic idea, like where we are transferred online. Now there's some friends I haven't seen in a number of years, they pass away and I'm looking at their Facebook page and I don't know the difference with them being alive or being... Mm And we can look at some of these AI technologies now where we can embody our loved ones, embody our grandparents and speak with them or exchange text messages with them and have that feeling that we're communicating with them after they pass away. We're not really, we're communicating with what AI thinks they would say or thinks they would do. Um, So that's not a real, that's a very interesting area to explore. So, how we project into the far future is much more difficult. Like we can imagine what came before us and we can look at our genetics, we can look at our ancestry, and we can kind of track a lineage. But to try to now imagine and foresee all of this information that's left about us after we pass away, both online, our digital information, our medical information, our historical information, I'm concerned because I can't foresee how that is going to be used in the future. So I'm also excited about those opportunities. Okay. Biofeedback work. Yes. So with my biofeedback work, with, with my biofeedback work, I'm really looking at these different areas that are beyond what we can measure. So we can measure a heartbeat, we can measure breathing, but there's all these other aspects that are going on inside of us all of the time, all these other intelligence, this dynamic internal landscape that's shifting and makes us human, you know, this this area of interaction. So I'm as an artist, I was trying to show that we have this landscape all the time and visualize that in some way or bring sound to it, somehow interpret it so that other people can witness it. My initial biofeedback work, I would lay and meditate for periods of five to eight hours. Well, I outputted image and sound in real time. So it was really performance art. And then uh, kind of in the earlier stages of brain computer interfaces, i started using some of the neuro headsets, some of the more complicated ones, some of the easier ones. And this is really interesting to be able to read our brainwave data and put it into images, put it into sounds. And even put it into text. And now with our AI, we can much more easily um, translate what's going on in somebody's head. So a lot of research has come out over the last few years that shows how we can translate thoughts and emotions into images that other people can see, that we can control other people's arms or a robot by what we think. And that doesn't even need to be invasive. That could be some of these brain-computer interfaces and electrodes that go on the surface of our skin. So this is really exciting, but it's also really concerning. I work across many different disciplines and tool sets. I'm almost always using the body and natural systems in creating this work and exploring it because the time that we're at in humanity is of merging with technology. And I've been using all these different exponential tools and technologies, including AI. And it seemed so separate before, but as our technological tools progress, these categories really unify more and more. And likewise, as we further integrate with technology, the boundaries of what's separate or what's natural and what's artificial really begin to disappear. My biofeedback artwork is durational performance art. Over periods of five to eight hours, I meditated while I was connected to an analog sandine image processor. That's actually the computer behind me. I was outputting video and sound at real time. This work really illuminates this constantly changing dynamic internal landscape inside of us all the time. And that often in stillness, we can witness it the most. And other people really wanted to be connected to this work. So that graduated to me doing experiments with the easier to wear neural headsets and BraveWave interfaces. They were also becoming really popular at the time. I was doing this work in, in 2011. So this is, this is some video from when I was wearing a Neuro headset over a period of two weeks to output image and sound. And this was over a residency that I did at uh, Signal Culture. I was really trying to be more musically inclined. I wasn't somebody that was born with musical inclination whatsoever. So I was actually using my brain and some of this technology to make a reflection back to myself. Translating my thoughts and emotions to images and sound and over that period of time I started hearing sounds in the world around me. If I took my headset off and went outside for a while, I would all of a sudden hear like a jazz song out of a garbage truck going by. And this was a completely new experience to me. Also, I started now dreaming in sounds, and I never had that experience before. So I was able to actually use my brain and couple it with the technology to make myself become enhanced, become more of that kind of person that I wanted to be. And this is some of the outfit, but um, I really love this because it reminds me of the kind of DNA gel staining look. But using this kind of technology, I was also thinking about writing back to the brain, writing back to the body. So we can have technology to be able to output our thoughts in different ways. And in this way, I did it artistically, but we could actually really refine it now to read our thoughts and use AI to show images of what we're thinking, or show text of what we're thinking, or embody our thoughts into a robot. And um, I'm I'm really thinking about how can we enhance our states of being by do this, doing this? So I showed this biofeedback loop where I learned and trained myself to be more musical. But what if there was less of a training period there? What if we just had this immediate knowing, like what if we can experience what a colleague or a loved one is thinking and feeling and have that knowing that area that's beyond language, that's beyond words, or what if we could, experience the states of like a dolphin who experiences much greater emotional states than the human being? Or what if we can see the world like a bug? How would this enhancement really empower us to be superhuman or have um, enhanced emotional intelligence, enhanced capacity to go through this world? Technology is advancing faster than we can conceive of its impacts on humanity and evolution. I explore this dynamic range of the impacts that tech can have from dangers and possibilities to you know these amazing potentials questioning all the impacts on our future and our lives that I could potentially foresee. And I use the actual technology in the process of creating the artwork. This is a really important aspect of asking these questions and working through the questions and the research and development. I almost always use the body and natural systems in my work, and I work across many disciplines. As our tool sets and our tech tools progress, though, these categories unify more and more. Likewise, as we further integrate with technology, the boundaries of what's separate or what's natural and artificial begin to disappear. My work can be seen as artifacts of a speculative future where digital, physical, and biological systems merge because I'm envisioning the future and I'm working through these processes and technologies to actually try to get there. I use digital and technological processes to create my work because it performs in a way that can mimic, help study and reveal metrics of life. I use our tools and technologies as a mirror to the self, as a mirror to who we are, to who we wanna be and to who we could become. Some of exploring what it means to be human, what it means to be alive, is biological in nature. And there's also, but there's also all these other realms beyond what we can measure this dynamic internal landscape of thought, of emotion, of intuition, and beyond that's going on inside of us all the time. I'm fascinated by these intelligences that are beyond our understanding, beyond that which we can have that kind of study and knowledge of beyond the linguistic mind, beyond what we can replicate, but that we nonetheless live through. And as an artist and philosopher, this is a big part of the area that I'm working in, the known, the tangible, and all these other intelligences as well. Artificial intelligence being one of them. When we create artificial intelligence, we tend to create it in the image of ourselves. I believe that artificial intelligence is not just about the technological, but about the biological as well. And when we think about technology and artificial intelligence, many people think about it and see it as being something outside of ourselves, like a computer or a robot. But I'm focusing on how we can integrate it into ourselves to heal us, to empower us. Wet AI, genetic modification, bioprinting, these kinds of areas might seem really abstract, but let's think about enhancements like a pacemaker. This is a highly technological device that's implanted into somebody and even can communicate with a doctor's phone. But when we see somebody with these enhancements, we don't see them as a cyborg. We see them as a person whose life has been saved, as a person in front of us, sometimes that we love, like a grandparent or a child. And this is often how many tech enhancements occur across all different ranges, not just medical. It's with the intention to make life better. And then they become integrated into our lives before we know it. And this is, you know, when things get really interesting to consider that we can, to me, um, to me, this is when things get really interesting to think about this emergence of infotech and biotech, to consider that we can work with this intelligence of life and couple it with our technology to create something unlike we've ever been able to create before. And it's also pretty scary. We're at this really exciting time. We have the tools to create almost anything that we can imagine and things that we cannot yet fathom. This is the area that I like to explore. I'm always asking myself, how can we use this new tool or this technology to make something that is unique to this tool that we can't make in any other way that was not possible to make before? And likewise, what tools do we have to create? What do we have to develop in order to create what we envision? I can easily envision a future where AI empowers and enhances our lives. A future where highly autonomous integrated systems surpass human intelligence across a number of domains, where AI becomes enmeshed with our bodies and our beings. Brain-computer interfaces. Neurotech, being able to access all the information from the internet with wearables and implantables in our brain and our bodies, to be able to communicate in different ways. Um, Or even thinking about combining that with facial recognition and machine learning so that we can better understand to and respond to our friends, our loved ones, and our coworkers. You know, I think about embodying this same kind of intelligence that's in our computers, in our AI, in our technology and putting it into ourselves so that we can become more intelligent, so that we can become more like instead of the AI being outside of ourselves, empowering us to be more intelligent beings, to be better colleagues, to be better lovers, to be better people. My vision for the future of AI is one where it revolutionizes our understanding of ourselves and the world around us, giving rise to new forms of expression, creativity, and empathy, and enhancing who we could be. But this can also be really confusing too and pretty overwhelming. Thinking about how we live across multiple intelligences is a really philosophical question. How will we embody ourselves into a machine or show up in a virtual world? Who will we become when our bodies merge with biotechnology and AI? What are our rights to live or to die in this space, especially when we consider things like the massive digital footprint that we leave after we die? And how will this data be used, you know, probably in ways that we can't even fathom? I'm considering this wide range of what will happen to our bodies and our beings as we integrate further into these spaces and even what will happen after death. You know, this area is where boundaries of what is artificial are becoming really blurry and sometimes pretty confusing, too, to not be able to tell the difference or know what is real online versus in real life. But it's also exciting time, too. I think we'll look back at this time in history and recognize it as this new chapter to create things we could have only dreamed of before and to create ourselves in ways that were never possible before. The time that we're at in our evolutionary process is of humans and technology merging. And as we enter the hybrid age, technology will shape us as much as we shape it. The future of AI does not have to be something that happens to us, though. It is something that we can create and that we can co-create. I really believe that our role in an AI augmented future is about working together to design and create a better future for humanity. The way that I got into AI was really through generative design in 3D um, and then also around the era of Google Deep Dream and neural networking. So like around 2015 is when I really started to get into this field. And I was coupling it with thinking about medical futuring and some of the things, different things that we can do with our bodies and our beings. Um, I have definitely used a lot of the generative AI tools. And I like to use these to kind of make sketches. Um, I, I do a lot of work with 3D printing and bioprinting. Again, I believe that the that AI is not just about the biological, but about the technological as well. And I'm really fascinated with any of the body technology interfaces as well. This piece is called Regenerative Reliquary. Regenerative Reliquary is made of biodegradable 3D printed scaffolds for growing stem cells into bone installed in a bioreactor. Medically, this piece considers people who need bone grafts, transplants, and even those with limb differences. This piece was designed with the idea that replacement parts could be specifically modeled and molded to fit into a patient and then grown with their own cells to really reduce the risk of rejection if it were to be implanted. But a lot of uh, questions arise in this process as well about what does it mean to be alive? Like we can have cells that are living and growing outside of the body and they can even live on after a person passes away, but that's not actually the person. So this work kind of imagines the possibility for using living cells to create things for both inside and outside of the body. You know, as an artist, I am not trying to implant this piece into someone's body, but I am working through the technology and collaborating with scientists and technologists to be able to push this technology forward. And this is when things get really interesting to consider that we can work with this intelligence, the intelligence of life, and couple it with our technology, in this case, generative design, to create something unlike we've never been able to create before and actually create a structure for life to grow and thrive, to collaborate not only across disciplines, but also with life itself. And this also... Um, you know, becomes an interesting model for me too. I can envision a factory of the future where just a few cells are the basis for this entire workflow to create many different things, but it doesn't have to be the same thing over and over. It could be various replacement parts as well as new enhancements that are unlike anything that we naturally have. Um, like, what if our technology was made out of reprogrammable cells? And what if they were decentralized? And what if they could be put back into our body? This is, it brings up a lot of interesting questions. Um, you know, what if that could be implanted back into our bodies and communicate with our internal systems and the external world? And we're at this really exciting time where we can grow things. We can manufacture a structure for living things to grow. We don't need inanimate objects anymore to make creations. And we can now use the actual building blocks of life to make things. When I was making this piece, I think a lot of the questions that came up were that sometimes I can show a living version. I also had some experiments where the cells grew and then died, but a lot of the museums couldn't host a living specimen. So as an artist, with somebody walking by a piece and like, one to three seconds. I wanted to be able to show that it was living. So I started asking this question, how could I show that if something is alive and something is living? And I made the next piece that I made in this kind of idea was that I I made this piece called the heart of evolution. In the heart of evolution, I explore the heart as both a vital organ and this organ that's associated with deep emotional feeling. I'm working with biomechanical and biofabricated sculptures to question our physical and spiritual evolution as we use biotech to advance our species. And I was talking about when we think about technology. So medically, this is a really exciting kind of work. Heart disease is a leading cause of death. I worked with some cardiac surgeons and we use this knowledge to work through how the form and function of the heart's vasculature could be improved through genetic, generative engineering and design. Um, How can we improve the structure of the heart so that if something got blocked, you don't necessarily have a heart attack and pass away. So this work proposes a design that could potentially improve function and reduce consequences in case of blockages. I'm also working on bioprinting with human cardiac cells that would actually be working with bioprinting vasculature. Bioprinting vasculature has many benefits, not just for the heart, but it also um, gives us this opportunity scientifically and medically to get one step closer to being able to actually print organs or organoids to make something that is even more compatible with the body. But it also raises important questions about the consequences of redesigning our body, of integrating this technology into our system. And I think this is why the heart is so important as a symbol for us, because it's associated with deep emotional feeling across many, many cultures. So if we were to switch that out or fabricate it in some way, what would the implications of that be? Who would we actually be because of that? This piece was first exhibited in Japan at the Mori Art Museum, and that was a really interesting place to do it because um, the Japanese have a different relationship to this idea of ghosts or notions that like Americans don't really have. But also, it was the site of one of the first heart transplants, and it's now one of the countries that's last to really adopt transplanting organs because they were concerned that that person wasn't really... So that was a really, uh, it brought up a lot of these concerns as well about the ethics of this kind of work. You know, the technical process of making this kind of work, um, when we do bioprinting, when we're looking at artificial intelligence and artificial intelligence, I'm sorry, when we're looking at infotech and biotech coming together, the process is very, very complex the tools that we have to develop, the materials that we have to develop, but it's really nothing compared to the spiritual, philosophical and ethical questions that arise. How, how close are we to actually
0: implementing this organ plug and play, um,
1: technology
0: and medicine?
1: I'm pretty well connected with, um, or I'm pretty well in tune with a lot of the people that are doing this work and, for putting whole organs in, we're pretty far off. But we do have a lot of amazing developments to be able to plug in different replacement parts like valves and hearts. So in smaller ways, but we're pretty far off from making an entire organ. Although it's really important that we start to ask these questions now because this is another realm of the AI ethics, right? Who can have accessibility to this? How will it be used? You know, I think about, um, Again, rights to life and rights to die in this space as well. First, a lot of this technology will be used for the numerous people that need transplants, and that's for good. But then as people age out, we might start to, you know, make replacement parts. So do we have the right to choose how long we live or how or, or if we pass away and who is this available to? Like in America, it'll probably be available for the wealthy. In other, in other countries, I could foresee it being offered to people that are seen as offering social value or significant like intellectual value to society. So we we have to think about these kind of ethics now. Yeah, it really takes inequity to
0: the next level.
1: Totally, totally.
0: So, as we wrap up, Amy, I would love to to know what's next for Amy Carl.
1: Well, I'm continuing to explore the synergy of human and machine, both in art and design, and uh, and philosophically as well. It's a really important time to be asking these questions. Uh, a, a number of my works, actually all of the works that are on my plate that are coming out over the next year, all integrate AI. Some of the projects that I'm really excited about. Uh, I've been invited to some major biennales and, and I'll be continuing to show in major art museums. I have some collaborations with tech companies. And if you'd like to work together, I'm always happy to hear how we can collaborate because it really takes all kinds of minds, all kinds of innovators to, to make sure that the technology is used for our best and highest good.
0: Thank you so much, Amy. It's been an absolute pleasure.
1: Likewise. Thank you for having me.